0: Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 32, Psalm 32. We have 150 psalms that really unfold all different aspects of what it's like to actually worship the Lord and trust in the Lord through adversity, through difficulty, through mountaintop experiences where we're just like praise God like some of the we've just sung right here and we're like praising God, praising the Lord Jesus for his goodness and his faithfulness. And then you have those low valleys where you're in despair and you don't know what to do. And the Psalms cry out and we see a life of faith lived out, breathed out in these Psalms that the Holy Spirit has actually anointed and inspired for our benefit. But there's also Psalms of confession. There's also Psalms of repentance. And that's what Psalm 32 is. Psalm 32 is actually written by King David. And it's, it's one of those psalms that's raw on one level, but it starts out just blessing and praising God for the joy of forgiveness. This psalm was written by a man who had a heart after God's own. And yet, as we read in our scripture reading, could so horribly, grossly fail. I don't know about you, but... I don't know if many of us in here slid in the span of a year from becoming king over Israel and and living righteously, honoring God, to staying home when He should have been going out to battle, to a lustful look on a rooftop to an adulterer. to a man who would seek to cover up his adultery with ultimately murder. And you think, who, who is this man that put on the David costume and ran around and did all this stuff? No, it was David. And this song is meant to show us the joy of forgiveness Upon the repentance and confession of our sins honestly and truly before God. That's why David penned this to instruct us. That's why the Holy Spirit put it in the Bible. And it starts out with a blessing. So we're going to pray and then read our text. Psalm 32. Would you bow with me in prayer? And just be asking the Lord to minister to your heart and to bless His Word as it comes out. Father God, um, we come before this weighty text. We come before this weighty passage. And Lord, I don't just want it to be more book learning. I don't want it to be just another sermon that is um, impactful in the moment, but but forgotten. I pray that this would be life-changing. I pray that the Spirit of God would breathe it upon us in a way that just affects our souls and brings the kind of confession and and, and getting real before God that actually produces joy in our souls. Father, I pray that You would help us to honor You by leaning in as we receive Your Word, as the very life-giving Word of God, as the truth held out to us, as the compass to guide us, as the rock to stand on, as the truth that puts the spotlight on Jesus, our Rescuer, and yet we see a man like David who desperately needed the forgiveness of God and we all need it too. I need it. We all need it. Everybody in here needs the rescue of God and the forgiveness of God. Because we're worse than we think we are. And we're often worse than we admit. But Lord, you see the reality of our heart truly laid bare. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, come upon this time and minister to our souls in Jesus' name. Would you read with me Psalm 32, this is a psalm that's meant to be sung and it's meant to be learned and it's meant to be taken in to your very soul and affect you. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore... Let everyone who is godly or faithful offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all upright in heart. This psalm opens... With a blessing, with a, with, with, with a sense in which it's like the Beatitudes where Jesus is like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's talking about in this psalm a state of joy, a state of blessedness, a state of actually rejoicing a state of well-being. There's a sense in which all is right with the psalmist. Why? Verse 1, because blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. So right off the bat, David is after joy. He wants to experience real and true and lasting joy before the throne of God or before the face of God in relationship with Him. And he has just spent a year living like an animal in subterfuge, just like hiding his sin, trying to deal with his sin, trying to nurse his sin. And it started with spiritual laziness. He should have been going to battle. He should have been out fighting the battles that kings fight. And he was stuck at the palace, lazing about. Probably binging Netflix, right? If I can be a little anachronistic. He was just lazy. And then he sees Bathsheba. And he does not restrain himself. And he commits adultery. He has to have her. And he takes her. And then he tries to cover it all up. And it ends in the murder of an innocent man. And David just slowly began to see this snowball effect. And y'all can be in touch with that on some level. Because, right, there have been times in your life... And in my life, when we have engaged in sin and we've sought to hide it and we've sought to kind of deal with it without dealing with it before God and going vertical, and it just began to create a mess and a trap that you could not get out of. Such was the case of David. And there is no joy and there is no misery when you're tangled up in sin and your soul is a wreck. And the heavy hand of God is on you. And you know I'm wrong before God. But this is David. And he's writing this psalm saying there is a way out. And it is a way of blessedness. It's a way of living. And brothers and sisters, I I, I want you to know that we live in a culture that's not really good at confessing sin. We live in a culture, in a world, where they, there is no confessing sin. You may say you're sorry once you got caught. We just learned him with the mayor of New York, right? And what does he do? He's caught in a scandal, all sorts of, of, of charges, 11 accusations of sexual harassment. And he is very quick to dismiss that with just saying it's a generational difference. There is no confession of sin in this world. There is no dealing ultimately with the heart. There is no peace that can be sought in the world apart from this vision that David lays out. And David is getting at some very profound truths about sin. He uses three different words in the first two verses. Look at this. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So transgression. Whose sin is covered. Sin. And then, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there's no deceit. So you see transgression. You see sin. And you see iniquity. And it's like this three-headed dragon. And sin means... To miss the mark, it's an archery term where you, you're lining up with the target and you've got a target, pew, but you miss. And the target is God's standards and we miss the mark when we fail to live according to his standards. Or transgression, what is that? Transgression, we all know and we've all experienced what transgression is when we think about crossing the line. We even talk like that, right? you cross the line mister you cross the line you went too far or when you go by a private property and what do you see but one of those signs and it says no trespassing and as soon as you go over the line you've trespassed you've transgressed you have went across the line of God's good boundary and God's good design in your life and it's a mess And far greater consequences than getting caught on somebody else's property where you get chased off or you get in trouble with the law. You're guilty before a holy God. And then this last word, iniquity, this is the idea of like twisted. It's the idea of like twisted and contorted and and, and turned into like a pretzel, Right? This idea of, like, a twistedness, an inner twistedness of the heart that produces. Why do we do the stuff that we do? I mean, sometimes, I, I, like, we say, you know, even to our kids or, or to somebody that's just messed up, and you're like, like, why are, why are you the way you are? Like, I don't, I don't get why you did that, you know? But it's because we're twisted. It's because our hearts are twisted. So it ought not shock us that we see David. Like, nobody put on a David mask and went around and did all this stuff. That was David. And really, all of us have a twistedness about us. all of us have struggled with that we uh We recently got the game Twister, and it's a cool game i mean i don't know how old it is, probably like thirty years old, but you know you know the premise it's like you've got all these circles with colors, and we have the kids out you know and, and they're you know doing the 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 putting their foot here and their hand here, and pretty soon everybody's just twisted up into a pretzel, and that you know. Now that I'm not as agile as I used to be, but I've never been limber. But like I'm up there. I tried it one time, and that was it. But I'm like all twisted up, and by the end of it, you fall over onto the ground, and and like that's it. Game over. That's us. That's our heart. Like we are so twisted up. We're we're just sin twists us into a pretzel, and David is up. saying in verse 1 and 2, blessed is the man who's set free from that, who's forgiven, who has his soul untwisted by the grace of God, who has his sin covered, because Jesus, guess what? He hit the mark. He hit the bullseye every single time. And then He went to the cross to cover. Look at this language in this passage. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That means to be lifted off, the burden off your back. And sin has beat you so down and weighed you so down and the guilt is crushing and forgiveness lifts it off. And then this idea of covering whose sin is covered. It's the idea of atonement. When Israel would would offer sacrifices and things like that, they would drip the blood on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant which had the mercy seat on top of it. And the blood would drip And ultimately, that's a picture of what Jesus actually does on the cross. This psalm is like pointing and making a beeline to the cross and saying, there's no rescue, there's no forgiveness, there's no untwisting of your soul apart from the grace of God offered to us on Calvary. Jesus paid it all so that your sin would be covered. Jesus was nailed to a tree so God would no longer count your iniquity. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That's canceling your debt. Jesus paid it all and all to Him we owe because what? He canceled our debt. And God is able to cancel your debt because of what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago. Because He took the wrath. He took the penalty. And when you trust in Him, do you know what happens with all of your sin as you truly repent, truly confess? Your sin is wiped away. And it's removed from you as far as the east is from the west. It's been paid for. And then you know what happens with Jesus' righteousness? You get that credited to you, and you get your sin canceled. And there is no victory over any sin in your life unless it's been canceled by Jesus. So you may be struggling with the same thing again and again and again, and you need to look to the one who canceled your sin, and he will give you power to deal with that very sin. That's the promise of this passage. That's why he can start out with blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one. And in a culture that's very depressing and very discouraging and, and wants all sorts of positive messages, right? We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to, sometimes we don't want to do that in church. It's like, don't talk. There are churches that don't want to talk about sin, they don't want to talk about. The, the suffering sin causes. They don't want to talk about sin as I just kind of outlined it with you because they think it'll make you not happy. And you know what? If you don't talk about sin, you will never experience true and real happiness because you'll never come to God and get it. You'll never run to the cross and think you need it. You'll never get the help that you need for the real sin that you're going through. And you're going to end up trying to do it on your own. And you're going to end up If David, a man after God's own heart, could fall short, there's no telling what we're capable of. If the circumstances are right, who knows what we would do. And maybe in the midst of the past 18 months, you've done some stuff. And you need to come to the cross. You need to come to this place and get help. So we see the the joy of forgiveness in this text but look with me we also see what the horror of silence the horror of silence before god about your sin look at verses 3 and 4 with me it's a horrible thing to stay quiet about your sin before a holy god it does disastrous things in our soul For when I kept silent, David says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David knew very well what it meant to run from God in his sin and begin to hide and begin to be quiet and to begin to think nobody will find out it'll be my secret and it crushed him it crushed his soul it was like a, a it was like a weight he kept silent and his bones it, it's this this imagery of like when you keep silent before God about your sin and you never deal with it It crushes you. It crushes you body and soul. How many of us experience the effects of our sin in our bodies? How many of us experience the effect of that heaviness, that guilt? When guilt and shame and discouragement load you down, you better believe it's going to affect you. You better believe it's going to affect your soul. It's going to affect your body. We're body-soul the Bible discusses things in real terms. And there are, there's stuff that shows up in your life that's visible effects of sin. And it's not just like, you know, somebody getting AIDS because they were engaged in sexual immorality. That's part of it. But there's real impact to unchecked anxiety and fear in our bodies. There's real impact when you start spinning a web of lies and and, and trying to cover up one lie with another lie with another lie with another lie and pretty soon you don't even know what's real anymore. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you're there now and you need to come clean. You need to get right. But David knew what it meant to be desperate under the weight of sin and to see it just in a, in a very heavy way upon his soul. And I think uh, Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher of the 19th century, he gets at this in just a powerful way, way. He says, when through neglect I fail to confess or through despair dared not to do so, my bones Those solid pillars of my frame, the stronger portions of my bodily constitution, they waxed old and began to decay with weakness for my grief was so intense as to sap my health and destroy my vital energy. What a killing thing is sin! It is a deadly disease, a fire in the bones, and while we smother our sin, it rages within. And like a gathering wound swells horribly and torments terribly. When we stay silent about sin, things begin to crumble. And perhaps the Lord, through His Spirit, is just calling you to deal honestly with God today. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you've been saying like, I'm just going to try to get it done on my own. And, and God is letting you experience this kind of the, the bones are aching. The groaning. It's like your song day and night. When will it end? Because you kept silent before the Lord. You've not, you've not done business with God. You, you're afraid to even talk to God because you think, I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't tell my father that. He'll, he, he won't receive me. And the opposite is true. You won't get release and you won't get help and you won't get grace if you don't receive it by talking to your father and dealing honestly before God. That's what happened to David. It got worse and worse and worse and worse and pretty soon he's a scandal to the whole nation of Israel. The Proverbs remind us, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's the wisdom of God, beloved. To confess sin grants you mercy. It's the way to mercy. It's the way to the throne of grace to receive the help that you need. And deep down, I think we all realize that the Christian life Is not one day of repentance it's repentance as a part of everyday life it's not I repented way back then so I never have to repent again or I confess my sin back then when I when I you know first committed to the Lord but now it's like the Lord knows no daily confession daily repentance repentance is a way of life and the Christian can actually be real about his sin or her sin and and be honest before God and before men. Because we actually believe we need salvation. And this is the way to blessedness, David reminds us. Silence is deadly when it comes to your sin before God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, David says in Psalm 51. Blot out my transgressions according to your abundant mercy. I have sinned. My sin is before you and you alone. I acknowledge it. And David even goes so far as to say I was born in sin. I I have a sinful nature and I have a corrupt heart and I need you, God. Purge me. Make me new. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And then I shall teach transgressors your ways. I mean, David is just all about Getting this joy in your heart. The joy of forgiveness. The, 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 the peace of knowing all is well between you and God. And it's been said that a guilt is to the conscience what pain is to the body. It's a warning signal that something's wrong, right? It's a warning signal. It's reminding you like, beep, 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 something's wrong. Something's not right between me and God. Something's not right in my soul. And we all know that like beacon in our soul that tells us it's called the conscience when you've done wrong. And that is meant to lead you to God and pursue the forgiveness that was won on the cross. To come to the one who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down by sin. And I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Look at verse four. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, when we first came to Kentucky, uh, we did not know what a summer was until we came to Kentucky and the blistering heat and... And, you know, 95% humidity, 100 degrees out. And we're at cart country playing miniature golf. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally just dripping with sweat. It feels like just like, like a, a hot, miserable blanket just got put on me. And I'm, I'm literally out of energy playing putt-putt golf. And that's one summer day. And sin is so much like that. It's like a a blanket over you, weighing you down. And God's discipline, His fatherly discipline toward you, is like a heavy hand reminding you it's, it's not right. It's not right right now between us. Please come. Please get right. Please get your heart before Me in honesty. Come clean. Because you're being sapped of all vitality, all energy, all strength, and it's a day and night thing. And we all have experienced at one time or another what unconfessed sin does to the soul. And if we're not a believer, it's a way of life. If we're a believer and we haven't come to the Father and we know we're not right, oh, It's a heavy, miserable mess. And it's like being out in the summer heat. And before you know it, you're out of energy and you just need to lie down. And life just seems hard and difficult. And you don't don't want to be in a spiritual death valley. You You don't want to be all dried up in your soul. All withered. All sapped of every spiritual energy and feeling like I am spiritually dry And David is saying, the answer is to come clean, to get your soul right before God. And that's what he says in verse 5. He's just like, "Get, get real about your sin. Get real about getting right with God. Get honest. Get blood earnest about your sin get super clear and super specific if there's something that you know about that you need to do business with God about and look at look at this honesty in verse 5 I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin there's like some personal pronouns there I acknowledge I confess I seek forgiveness for my sins. This is an idea that's deeply personal. And sometimes we think about sin and we want to just abstract it out and be like, yes, we're all sinners. All of humanity is sinful. And therefore, I'm a sinner. And therefore, I'm just like everybody else. So I don't need to come before the throne of grace. Because I'm just like everybody else. God's going to give me a pass. I, I, I don't need to maintain this relationship. It's just automatic, right? Because I, I repented a long time ago. And God is like, God is like begging us in this text to come and come clean and to daily seek Him and, and, and to experience the joy of forgiveness and experience the joy afresh every day. You don't have to be miserable about your failures and about your sins all day long because you don't have to carry them because there's one who carried it to a cross to rescue you there's one who paid for it in his blood there's one who covered it there's one who forgives it there's one who can help you and when you hold it all to yourself you don't get that help but when you confess it when you acknowledge it when you actually agree with God like yes God I am a mess I did do this thing today and you bring it to God, man, that's the stuff that gives you peace when you had the argument in the middle of the kitchen and you feel like just a terrible spouse. Or you've scolded your kids and you're too hard. Or too soft. Or you've disobeyed your parents and and there's a sense in which you know you've been lying to them. And God is like, get that right. Confess it. Be real about it. And there's rescue. Look at the end of verse five. It says, "I will confess my transgressions. I've went across the line, Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave my twistedness, and you've, you've untwisted me." And this idea of forgiveness is to be lifted up. All of the baggage that we, the baggage of guilt, the baggage of shame, the baggage of discouragement, the baggage of feeling like a total failure every day, all day long, is meant to be lifted up to the cross where you get rescue, where you get grace, where you get a a suffering Savior who wants to bless you and wants to free you and wants you to remember 1 John 1.9, right? If I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He'll cover my sin with His blood. He'll lift up the burden. And then He'll, verse 1, or verse one and 2 say, He'll count them no longer against you. I mean, what, what kind of Lord do we have that He'd be willing to wipe the slate? Like those etch sketches right? You do the little doodles. You remember those? Like you do your little doodles and the, the, the drawings go all over the Etch-A-Sketch. And what do you do at the end when you're done? You don't want to look at it anymore because it's kind of nasty and an ugly mess. You shake it up and it's all clean. And this is, this is before the advent of like iPads and stuff like that when you had to like turn little knobs to draw stuff on like these weird red boxes. But <laughs> so this is, this is what God does in our soul. He cleans us. He takes the record of sin and debt that you owe to God that you would be paying for in hell for all eternity. And he erases it. And he tosses it as far as the east is from the west. And that is good news for the struggling Christian. And it's good news also for anybody who's tired of living under the heavy hand of God in Death Valley spiritually withered to the core feeling like a perpetual failure bearing the guilt and the shame that they rightly deserve before a holy God you can get help and it starts by admitting your sin it starts by agreeing with God in confession and then looking to Jesus who's the one who actually deals with our sin. That is glorious news. And some of us need to be reminded of it today because it's not as sweet as it used to be. Because perhaps you haven't really cultivated your relationship with God. You've been going through the motions. You don't have this kind of this joy, this, this every day kind of like I get joy. I'm, I, I blew it, Lord. And now I'm coming to the throne of grace and I'm getting help and I'm getting joy and I'm getting peace and I'm getting life and I'm getting the kind of Christian life that's promised where Jesus is like, I've got living waters for you. You thirsty, you're in a desert, I've got living water to give you. Do you feel like the ground is, is falling out from under you? I'm a rock. Put your trust in me. Do you feel totally unclean? I'm the one who touches lepers and makes them clean. And I can touch your life and make you clean if you will ask. I am the way, the truth, and the life, He said. And anybody who comes to me can get help. Can get rescued. So we get real with God and we get the freedom of forgiveness. And we're not going to touch on every aspect of this psalm, but this psalm points us to the reality that the next step for us when we've internalized all these truths is go vertical. Go vertical. Get your heart in a posture where you're always relating to God and you're always leaving the the call button on on your phone because you want to come to God daily with your sins, with your needs, with your heartaches, with your worries, with your doubts, with your fears, with your insecurities, because He's a Heavenly Father who can help. And look, verse 6, Therefore, in light of all this that we've been talking about, let everyone who is faithful or godly offer prayer to you. Go vertical. So that you may have you may get help at a time when when the Lord may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters. Now, great waters in the Bible is always trouble. He's saying when trouble comes, you may not get a chance. Trouble may come upon you, and if you're not, if you're not going vertical as a Christian, that's how we get help. And there are some who've never gone vertical, they've never took their relationship to the, the prayer closet daily before God like we have a living relationship. And it's this like sort of routine sort of deal where we're just kind of like ho-hum and we're saying Christian things, but inwardly we're so far from the reality. And God is calling you out of that today. If that's you, get real about it. Just get real. Say, God, I, I've just been faking. I've been going through the motions. It's not real. There's not, there's not, I'm not in touch with this. And I need You! Would You help me? That's the kind of prayer being uh, uh, uttered. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. And you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I mean, isn't that the picture? If If you're just a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, living for God, connected with the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit, there's a sense in which you're you're in the hiding place. He's your hiding place. Corey Tenboom would 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 call her book, and she's the one who rescued all the Jews from Nazi Germany and ends up getting thrown into a prison camp. And she knew a lot about what it meant to be in the hiding place, to be in a hot spot, to be in a place where she had to struggle with her bitterness toward the Nazis and, and really to to, to 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 keep these kind of short accounts. You're my hiding place, God. I need You. And every one of us need Him. Every one of us need to keep that call button on and bring your heart before the Lord. And then, then this is what the relationship looks like and we'll close. I will instruct you, verse 8, this is God talking now, and teach you in the way you should go. And I will counsel you with My eye upon you. Be not like a horse or like a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near to you. So the idea is, like, like I've got my eye on you. I, I care about you. I love you. I'm directing you. I'm guiding you. The Lord says, but don't be like a mule. We got to put a bit in his mouth. And we got to yank to get him to go this way or that. Like, don't behave like an animal. That needs to be like corrected in these harsh ways. And David is using the imagery because he knew what it was like. He had a bit in his mouth and the prophet Nathan came to him and said, thou art the man. Thou art the man. You're the one who's committed sin, David. And the discipline of God can sometimes be a bridle in the mouth, a bit in the mouth, so that we get our hearts back before the Lord. And we deal honestly with them. And know, know the reality that verse 10 says many are the sorrows of the wicked. It's the opposite. When you live apart from God, sorrow is the way of life. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in God. God envelops us with his love as we trust him. There is a loving blanket over you, not a hot blanket that weighs you down and crushes you. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It ends with your joy. So I want us to think a little bit today about where we're at, and take stock and think about what you might have to bring before the throne of grace. Think about, be, be specific. Be honest. Have integrity before the throne of God because He sees us as we are. And He wants us to lead us into joy. I mean, this whole psalm is written by a man who, who had a heart after God and made a mess of his life and then got restored. And so there's nothing that you've done that you can't get restored and enter into a sweet, joyful relationship with God. Sure, there's consequences in this life, but there's glorious blessings for those who get real with God Who actually get honest and actually come before Him and make a beeline, as it's been said, to the cross and get the rescue and get the encouragement and get the help that our Savior longs to give you. He says, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I long to give you the rest you desire. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us, Lord, to really get our hearts before You even now. And I pray that we would get help. I pray that as we sing Amazing Grace, as we sing these songs, Lord, that You would help us to get our heart right that we would confess sin if we need to confess sin, that we would get honest before you, and Lord, that we would experience the joy of your forgiveness, the sweet embrace of your loving forgiveness that was purchased 2,000 years ago on a cross. And Lord, it was ratified when you raised Jesus from the dead to give life to any who will believe and to give life again and again and again and renew your people as they live a life of repentance and faith towards you. In Jesus' name, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Amen. I'm going to be up here as we um, enter into our time of response. This is a hymn of response. Sometimes I don't talk about this, but the whole point of this part of the service, as Amanda's getting ready, is for you to really reflect on what you've just heard and get your heart before God and whatever has to happen. And if you need counsel or you need counsel during the week or right now or at any point, like I'm here, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to be, be an encourager. If you need to talk about anything. Don't feel like you can't. And don't let, don't let pride keep you from getting help. Let's come before the Lord together and let's worship him now. Thank you, sister. Well. you, Amanda. So I wanted to end just thinking about the fact that we have a merciful Savior and we have a gracious Savior, and he is so good and so loving and so kind. So when we think about being under the heavy hand of discipline, sometimes when we need it, we also remember at the same time we have a Savior who says, come to me. All who labor in it are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So may the Lord bless you with that word um, and, and go out and be salt and light in the world. And I have a deacon close us out. Father.